0: We have a special guest today.
1: Very special guest. Introduce yourself. I'm Coral. <laughs> this is my daughter, Coral. She is 16 years old. Wing it. I'm just kidding.
0: <laughs> She's like, no, stop. She's like, please don't share that information. <laughs>
1: <laughs> she is, I'm going to brag about her for just a second here. She is a junior in high school and she is in her second year of college also. And she is, what's your Major.
2: Psychology.
1: Psychology. What do you want to be when you grow up? Long, she- pause, long, <laughs> pause, long pause, She wants to be a psychologist when she grows up. And she asked to sit in on this episode. I don't know how healthy this is. This is
0: probably her <laughs> result. She <laughs> hangs out with me. I promise that she... You know, yeah, this more is, than she
1: this is, exactly, this is probably <laughs> going to end up in a CPS report. She's going to be, like,
0: running out the door by the end. She's going to be like, never again will I ask to sit in on a podcast
1: episode. <laughs> <laughs> but
0: we're super excited you're here, Coral. And Welcome. if you have something
1: to throw in here, throw it in. Not literally, like, you have to speak, but.
2: Right. right. <laughs> you got to speak up volume
1: up (laughs) so perfect i am tracy
0: i'm samantha and i'm coral
1: this is the suspended sentence what are you bringing us samantha
0: so we are going to be talking about thomas johnson today also known as the machete killer out of dallas oh great so texas a&m wide receiver had it all going for him he had fought for his dream he'd worked really hard to be playing for a&m which is a, big a dream school. come
1: true.
0: Um and he had his um but his mind would end up being the barrier for him. And this would end up costing him his freedom as well as the life of an innocent man. Uh-oh. So like I said today we're covering the machete killer Thomas Johnson. So Thomas Johnson was born in D- a Dallas neighborhood of Oak Cliff in April of 1994 and was raised by his mother who considered him a blessing and raised him as a single mother. She had a one-night stand with a truck driver Who he does, his father does play a part in later on, but for the most part, she raised him as a single mom. Okay. Thomas um, would have very um, many convictions of theft as a teenager, Um, and Thomas's mom tried to make it, like, the best life possible for him. She would take him on trips to, like, Disneyland and stuff, live off of a single income, so. Yeah, which is hard. That's hard. As a single mom, I, Yeah. Yeah. So, starting at 9, he stood out athletically, and by the time he was 11, he played for a traveling football team in Arlington, and I've said it many times before, I lived in Texas for a little while, Texas takes sports very seriously. Especially football. So, the fact yeah. that he was on a traveling team at 11 is not yeah, a wild concept. So, like I said, he played for this team in Arlington, which is like 30 minutes from Dallas, if you don't know the area very well. Okay. And... Here he would meet and become great friends with a very wealthy child of the Earhart family of Texas, who like owned up their own island, like very wealthy family. Okay. And Thomas was African American. Earhart Earharts were a white, very wealthy family in in the Arlington area. So they took him under his under their wing, and he would spend most of his time from then on out with this family. Okay. So this family even would pay for Thomas to attend Oakcrest, which is a private school in Arlington. Like, wow, very That's took nice. him in as family. That's cool. So in April of 2009, Thomas made local paper, um, but this made his mother very not happy because the title was um, the article was titled quote the most grateful player, and really outlined it as painted Thomas's life before spending time with the Earhart family is less than ideal, kind of made it sound like he was like from the hood of Dallas and that they like saved him.
2: Uh, You know, like
0: you hear the story, it kind of like blindside type deal going on. Which was a
1: fantastic movie. Fantastic
0: movie. But But, yeah. That's how they painted it in this article. So after reading this, Thomas's mother drove to Arlington and told the family that she wanted her son back because he was pretty much living with them at this time because it was closer for school. He didn't have to drive thirty minutes. He stayed there most of the time okay and she was like no you're not gonna portray us like this yeah i'm taking i worked my butt off to like give my son yeah the life that he has yeah so thomas would make a name for himself when he would later enroll at a magnet school named skyline in dallas where he played football he was a star running back and ranked number four in the state whoa so awesome football player he was being recruited by many colleges by the time he graduated high school, and ultimately he would attend Texas A&M, where he would play, play for a year before dropping out in 2012. Oh, why did he drop out? Oh, okay. sorry. We'll get into Ooh, that. We're getting there. <laughs>
2: Calm it down.
0: <laughs> okay. I like having someone on my side here. So in November of 2012, during a very important game against Alabama, Johnson played impressively, and this would be his last game. So Alabama was ranked number one at the time of this game, which mm-hmm. college football, Alabama yep. is usually pretty good. Yep, Alabama, and Ole Miss, Texas A&M. Those yep. are the ones you always hear about. And A&M that year was ranked 14. So them winning was a big, big deal. deal. So for the months leading up to, to, up to this, Thomas was notice, noticeably not himself. Instead of celebrating wins of games with his teammates, he would just go to his room alone um, with his Bible where he would smoke marijuana and K-2. K2 is more commonly known as spice. Mm -hmm. Spice was sold as an herbal incense, but you never knew what type of high you would be getting because of the chemicals on spice. So the government would figure out what chemical was on the synthetic marijuana, and then to keep selling it, they would just change out that chemical. Yep. So you never knew what kind of effect you would get. Sometimes it would be like a marijuana high. Other times you would be like tripping. Very dangerous. Very was, unpredictable. Yeah, this was also highly addictive. Yep. Um, I've known people that have smoked spice in the past that have, that have said that stopping smoking spice was harder than stopping to doing heroin. Yep. Like it was highly addictive and you could buy it as an incense.
2: hmm
0: <clears throat> So according to Thomas' roommate, he had also become obsessed with a movie called The Book of Eli, which is about a nomad in a post-apocalyptic world who hears a voice telling him that he need, what he needs to do. And the man in the movie has the last copy of the Bible, and he must preserve Christianity. Oof. So after winning the big game against Alabama, Thomas missed practice the next few days, and the coach would contact his mother, who said she didn't know where he was either. Thomas had left College Station, which is where Texas A&M is, and decided he was going to walk back to Dallas, which is 180 miles. Oh, oh my, my gosh. gosh. <laughs> <laughs> Are you guys related? <clears throat> The only things with him would be an engagement ring for his gr- for his girlfriend and a Bible. Police began searching for Thomas, and his father would find and his father would be the one to find him three days later. After Thomas showed up at a high school friend's house in Dallas, so he made it. He walked the hundred and eighty miles to Dallas in three days.
1: He walked it. Walked it. Like nobody gave him a ride.
0: Yeah. Walked it. No way. And the last leg of the stretch, he ended up walking barefoot because um, his feet were so blistered that his shoes hurt, so he just took his shoes off and walked barefoot.
1: Because walking barefoot hurts less than one. Holy crap.
0: Yeah, so this all starts to make sense here. So he's at his friend's house, and Thomas's father tries to get him to come out to talk to him, and he has no luck getting him to come out of the house. So his father calls the police to see if they can assist with, like, trying to figure out what's going on, because that's pretty irrational I already behavior. haven't diagnosed <laughs> let us let Coral try and
1: guess before you say what he's got.
2: Ooh, schizophrenia. Yeah, atta girl. So where did you guys get that? Just from? Well, it's not uncommon to just one day out of the blue, kind of just up change. and change. And normally it happens later on college, twenties in that atta time. Frame. girl, look at you, you yes. little genius.
0: So yes, he. We will find out later. He.
1: And the isolation and change in behavior. Absolutely. (laughs) Wow. Good
0: job. Yes. I'm impressed. (laughs) So his father calls the police and is like, this is pretty erratic behavior. Like, can you come help us like, wait, speak to my son. We've got to say, we
1: did not tell her.
0: No. (laughs) Like that was really,
1: she just did that.
0: Yeah. And gave Mm -hmm. the information on that. Good job. Good job. So when the police get there, um, Thomas takes off, he goes out the back door and just disappears. And the police questioned his high school friend that was with him and his friend told the police, quote, Thomas is crazy. He believes that he's Jesus. Oh, no. So the search was not over. The police sent out a helicopter to try and help find Thomas, who was hiding in a nearby park. While in the park, Thomas called his longtime girlfriend, telling her that he was tired and cold and asked if he could see her. She immediately called the police, who followed her to the park, and she let Thomas get into the car, wet from the rain, and she drove him to a prearranged traffic stop where police would take Thomas without incident to a mental hospital in, uh, in Green Oaks um, in Dallas for three days evaluation. Mm. Thomas's father, upon release from Green Oaks, took him to another facility where he was officially diagnosed with schizophrenia. Wow. <clears throat> but he refused to take any medication, stating that he didn't want his classmates to think that he was crazy. So mm-hmm. he refused to take any medication. Six months after being released from Green Oaks, Thomas showed up at the doorstep of his cousin's house, where his friend and second cousin were also living. When they answered the door, Thomas said, quote, please forgive me, I sold my soul to the devil. His cousin told him that it was late and that he needed to go home and get some rest. Robert's father later attempted to bring Thomas to a doctor and a social worker, but claimed that, the, that his mother would not let him be taken to a facility. His mother stated that all he needed was more church and to pray pray more to help Thomas. Wow. Thomas was um, turned, to, turned to walking, and he walked a lot. So some walks would last an entire day, and he said that the reason that he walked so much was because the voices in his head, his head would not stop. And I feel like, isn't that pretty common, is you turn to to something to get your head off of things, to try and clear your head? Like, that wouldn't be horribly weird, would it? I'm looking at both of you. So, for... Well,
2: I guess if you don't know what's happening, it's something is happening to you, something is changing. It's you're going crazy. You don't know what. And as a teenage boy, you, this change.
0: How old is he? So, college age. So, so like, 19, 20. 20 around there. So I don't feel like that's horribly... So, one
1: of the, one of the <clears throat> biggest things with schizophrenics is, is they don't know... They don't know that something is wrong. They don't know that their behavior isn't normal. They know that people are reacting differently to them, but what is happening in their head, especially when it's unmedicated, and we're going to preface this, right? I am not a doctor. I am not a psychologist. I am not, I'm just saying, basing off of my research, my experience, and I've worked with a lot of people with schizophrenia. hmm they know that people are reacting differently to them. They don't, but they. But what is happening in their head is like it's real and it's normal. It's just like they don't see a difference between. They don't understand that their behavior is abnormal. So to
0: us, being like, okay, he walks for twenty-four hours in a day, like that's abnormal for us. But yeah. to him, that might not be. No, it's
1: not it, anything it's, strange. It's not. It might. It might not be. It's not. He's just like I need to get from here to here, and this is how I'm going to do it.
0: Mm-hmm. So in April of 2014, Thomas decided he wanted to go back to College Station, but found himself without a vehicle. He then smashed the window of um, of his aunt's house, stole the car keys, and took off to College Station. <clears throat> when he got to College Station, he was they everybody that saw him said that he was acting very aggressive when he mm-hmm. arrived. He showed up at the football stadium where he begged to the head coach to let him play football again. The coach said that he was looking really bad and offered to get him some help. At the suggestion of this, he got more aggressive and was thrown out of the stadium. He was no longer welcome at Texas A&M. He was told he was not allowed to come back. So no longer being welcome there, he headed back to Dallas. As he passed through Waco, Texas, a police officer ran the plates of his car, which came back as stolen, and he was arrested and taken back to Dallas where he would serve three months in county jail. After his release, he was introduced to a pastor who would help Thomas come up with a care plan which include working out Bible study and sessions with a psychologist as part of his diversion program that the county set up for him. This would um, here he would live 50 miles outside of Dallas on a farm. Before T- Thomas um, could have his first session with a psychiatrist, He said um, to the pastor that his mother and him had decided that it would be best for him to leave the farm, breaking the agreement of his diversion program. So Thomas went on an overnight. They were like, let's not do that yet. Let's try an overnight and see how that goes. Like, don't leave the program yet. Because like I said, this is breaking his diversion program. Mm -hmm. So they call to arrange for him to be picked up from his mother. And she said, I don't know where he is. He's gone. So Thomas had decided to walk 20 miles to Duncanville to apologize to his aunt for stealing the car. But when he arrived, she said that his eyes were dark and she felt that it was a danger to the children in her home daycare, so she called the police. When the police arrived, Thomas acted confused about why they were there and started running away. He was then caught and arrested for evading the police. The next few months did not go well for Thomas. First, he tested positive for marijuana, a violation of his probation. Then he missed an appointment with his probation officer and failed to pay $600 in court fees. In January of 2015, he appeared before Dallas County judge on the evasion charge where he was sentenced to six months rehab. So they're treating it like he's a drug addict, not yep. a mental health incident.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So upon release from rehab, his attitude completely changed and he was, had a very short fuse. And he um, confessed to his mother and father that the night of the Alabama game, years before, that he had been raped. He never made a report to the police, and he never, never told anybody who had assaulted him. So, don't know if that really happened. I don't want to say that didn't happen, but right, we don't know if that happened or not. So Thomas moved back into his mother's house, and on October tenth, twenty fifteen, Thomas and his mother watched a movie together, which ended around nine thirty. They said that they had a wonderful time. His mom said, like she, he was his old her, like her old son again like they laughed they joked they had a great time around nine thirty, he announced that he was going out the next morning when she got up to go to church around 7 a.m she found that thomas was still not home but right before she was leaving thomas arrived and he was really angry and began cu- began cussing at her and she was like i get you've got stuff going on but you're not going to speak to me like this which just made him more angry at which pl- which point he grabbed a long-bladed knife and he stormed out of the house <clears throat> so david stevens is an accomplished marathoner who loved running his entire life he ran mondays wednesdays and fridays every week religiously he and his wife of 25 years patty she would sometimes join him for these runs he would run ahead of her and then loop back to check on her that was his thing she was slower mm-hmm. than him that would be literally me going <laughs> on a run with anybody you'd have to like
2: back around <laughs> it's- it's like my dog when we're out walking, she does a couple laps, I, comes I back, checks on a, you, <laughs> does a little wrap around. you know?
0: Yeah, that would be literally me going on a run with anybody. <laughs> so, planning for early retirement, David and Patty were looking for farmland in Oregon to retire on. He was an engineer. But on October 12th, around 7 a.m., David would put his wallet in the glove box of his SUV and set off on, the, on a run at the White Rock Trail. He planned on running about 90 minutes to train for the Dallas Marathon that was eight weeks away. At 7.32, a pedestrian walking near the Walnut Trail Bridge saw a man they described as crazed looking wearing a hoodie over by the tennis court and felt uncomfortable and called 911. They noticed that the man started following a jogger and began running faster after the jogger. 7.51, a cyclist called 911 to report a man who was hacking at the ground, and as he got closer, he noticed that it was a machete, that was hitting a man on the ground. Oh my God. But before police arrived, Thomas had left the crime scene and had asked a park employee to borrow their cell phone. He called 911 and said, quote, there's a man laying down with a sword in his head, not moving. Thomas went back to David's body and waited for the police to come. And the first officer that arrived, Thomas told, quote, I just committed capital murder. The officer asked him what he meant. And Thomas said, quote, it's like you just don't wake up. David did not have his wallet. Like I said, he, I don't think most runners carry their wallet and keys on them. Like, when you're running, he didn't have it. And he was, had been macheted, so he was unidentifiable at the time. So it wasn't until um, his wife, Patty, had been watching the news and heard about the attack that she ended up calling all of the police stations in Dallas to try and figure out if it was David that they were able to identify him. Oh, no. A week later, she was interviewed by the press, and she stated, quote, David was my best friend and the love of my life, and I'm lost without him. A week later, Patty would spread photos of herself and David on her dining room table, walk into her garage, shut the door, turn on her SUV, and lay on the floor next to the exhaust pipe. Oh. Oh, goodness. Thomas turned himself in immediately and confessed to the murder, but his attorney said that he was not competent to stand trial. He was sent to a mental hospital for six months to regain his competency compensi- before standing trial. This would be extended from 2015 until June of 2018, where it, would, um, where it was determined that he had regained his competency and was fit to stand tri- trial. So this is why we talked in the Lori Vallow case. Oh,
1: man. Two very different
0: cases. I know. That's why I said. Two very different scenarios. That's why I was saying it's going to be interesting to see what you
1: think on this because. Because I was like jumping out of my skin in excitement that the state of Idaho was like, nope, we don't recognize this plea.
0: Which in Texas does. I mean, we've got like Andrea Yates. We've got, I mean, Texas recognizes the insanity. Like claim
2: oh so what is your
0: opinion on that let's let's hear that
1: okay well I have an opinion and I I have a lot to say but Coral I want to hear what your opinion is on this do you have (laughs) an opinion or are you pleading the fifth here her eyes
0: got really big (laughs) yeah she's
1: like oh no what do you think do you think that there are some crimes do you think that he should be held accountable for this do you think he should be charged with capital murder and potentially given
2: the death penalty for what he did well I mean I'm very torn because at the same time Mental health is a thing and when not taking medication, you aren't the same person. You are not aware of what is going on, what is happening. Um, But at the same time, there's two people that just died. There is a lady who just lost the person that was keeping her alive. She lost the love of her life and couldn't bear it anymore and took her own life. And That is something that shouldn't be taken lightly. And if I was their family, I think lock him up, do whatever to him. But at the same time in the field that I'm going into, it's mental health. So I like that you're objective like that and you can see
1: both sides of both sides of the coin because that's important.
0: I agree. We've because, talked
1: about that a lot. But here and, and I'm, I'm starting to regurgitate the same thing over and over and over again and samantha you feel the same way that i do it'll be interesting to see where a stands stance is on this um jesus christ y'all can somebody fucking pay attention to mental health here he,
0: there's like, plenty jesus of opportunities christ. here and that's where i kind of feel like it's kind of goes back to your um like oh, gosh. this guy like walked around the shooter the school shooter in Um, florida it goes back to that nick cruz it goes back to nick cruz here he was arrested four separate times he had been hospitalized for mental health he had he didn't and and
1: in the mental health field like there's different anxiety coral correct anxiety is not the same goddamn diagnosis as schizophrenia we have Minor diagnoses like anxiety, which, you know, millions of people deal with and are functional with, with or without medication. And then you have schizophrenia, where I, schizophrenia is serious mental health diagnosis. Serious mental health diagnosis. It is delusions, hallucinations, disorganized thoughts, speech and behavior impairments. It is significant. Mm-hmm. It is unpredictable, unreasonable behavior. It is bouts of extreme rage where the person is unable to regulate that mm-hmm. without medication. People with schizophrenia, when they are on medication, completely functional. Mm-hmm. Some of them. Some of them are not. Again, I have worked with a lot, a lot of clients who, who, and I'm going to use the word suffer, suffer from schizophrenia, and them off their meds and them on their meds night and day it's actually it's a very scary diagnosis it Mm. is here's some facts about it it's much more common in men than it is in women and for some reason it's not a diagnosis that you get before the age of 18 usually it kicks in between the age of 18 and 35.
0: Right. And that's kind of what you were
1: saying. Why is,
2: that? is that just like the development?
1: Yeah. Coral, do you know, do you know at what age the brain is completely developed? Uh, no. Yeah, yes, you do. Give it a good country go. At what age <laughs> do you think the human brain is finished developing? I don't
2: developing? know. 23.
1: 23 to 25. Exactly.
2: Okay. There's for sure. Star.
1: So, so yes, I think that, I mean, nobody knows for sure. I mean, we there's, they say that it's probably a combination of genetics, biology, environment, etc. Trauma, which m- might play into his story of being raped. And possibly, we don't know. It's a, because
0: you said delusions are a thing too. So, delusions I mean, it are, may mm-hmm. not have happened. It may. Exactly. I don't want to say that it didn't because a lot of men that are raped don't ever report that.
1: That's absolutely correct. Absolutely correct. Not you saying know, that it
0: doesn't happen.
1: <clears throat> but you know. In the beginning, when you were going through the story, I was impressed with law enforcement. I was impressed with the first few run-ins, how they didn't just instantaneously go, oh my God, he's doing something illegal, let's lock him up. They were like, no, this is an individual, they, com- they quickly identified, this is an individual that needed help, and they got him the mental health help that he needed. I was impressed with that. And then, where does the breakdown happen? Where in this story did the breakdown happen?
0: Where all of a sudden it's rehab? Where, and it's...
1: Yes. Why are we? Why are we sending him to rehab? Here's another interesting thing in my experience working with people with schizophrenia. Schizophrenia medication. When I say that it's expensive, would blow your freaking mind how expensive it is. Really? We are talking like $800 a month Isn't expensive. is
2: there like though a drug that like is the substitute? Though? What is the substitute drug? Is it meth? It is. <laughs> it
1: is. Meth has the exact same effect on schizophrenics as schizophrenic med- medication does. I I was going to tell that story. I had a schizophrenic client of mine who got into a bad situation, didn't have access to his medicine, da 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 da? Somebody gave him meth. It calmed his brain down and it made him act or be able to be rational. And he got addicted to it. The street value of meth, the availability of meth, the cost of meth, all the rest of it is a whole lot damn cheaper than going and getting a prescription from the doctor. Well, and
0: we've talked about that a million times <laughs> too the cost of a psychiatrist, the cost of the medication.
1: Absolutely. We're talking it's about ridiculous. a
0: 25-year-old man at this point. Yeah, but again,
1: here we are again, Samantha, talking about deaths of people, murders that fall on mental health. Do we, are we starting to understand, everybody who's listening, the correlation and why IDP started? The correlation between mental health, addiction, and criminality, y'all? Mm -hmm. Like there is, there is a huge gap here. Right. Where did we go from getting this gentleman help to punishment and, and because the law, you can't hold them. You can't hold them forever on little tiny things. But we know that these little tiny things breaking in and stealing his aunt's car being threatening, acting irrationally, all of the things that he did before. You can't hold him for a long term. You can't force mental health help. But I'll tell you one thing you can do. You can not go before a judge and say, hey, this is his diagnosis and he, he needs help and involuntarily put him in a mental Guardianship hospital. Guardianship or something. You absolutely can do that. And if you have a true, real basis for that, you can do that. You can help these people. Yeah. And I don't know why we're so damn hesitant to do that when we need to, because just like Coral said, an innocent man lost his life just going out for a run, and a, and the love of his, or the woman that he was married to lost the love of his life, the reason, as Coral said, the reason that she was alive.
0: Right, because she didn't have any, they didn't have any children or anything, like they were each other's entire world. It
1: could have been prevented. Mm-hmm. But we're so, we tippy-toe around mental health and we don't provide the correct resources to people. This is a crisis.
2: Yeah. Which would have taken a little bit more time and energy into setting up those resources and making it available for him.
0: At the cost of two people's lives, as you pointed out. Right. Well, so, like I was saying, from 2015 to 2018, That competency, he was retested, like, every six months to see if he was competent to stand trial. Mm Mm-hmm. That's, to me, a long time to not be competent. So, to me, that kind of sets the tone of where he was mentally at the time. Absolutely. If you You can't stabilize in a
1: short period of time, something is significantly wrong.
0: So, the argument, though, was he knew that he needed to call 911, and he stated to the officer that he committed capital murder. So at the time they were like were you insane you knew rationally that you needed to take those steps so that was the prosecutor's huge huge part of this is they were like he called 911 he walked away walked back to the body took com- admitted to the crime mm-hmm. is that so the question is was he like in a manic episode in a schizophrenic episode no they're not stupid they're not
1: dumb. People who have schizophrenia are not imbeciles. They're not what? retarded. <laughs> they don't. They know. Oh gosh, they know what they're. Mother. They know what they're doing. Pearl size got really big. <laughs> no, they know what they're doing. They're not stupid. Mm-hmm. Their cognitive function is not impaired. Their ability to control their actions and their impulse is.
0: Yeah. So the their, the defense attorney's whole argument though is that shows that he was competent during the actual crime. Or shortly after.
1: Oh, that's that's ridiculous. He needs to have a psyche eval done.
0: So Thomas's attorneys had a hard time proving that he was not sane at the time that he committed the crime due to the nine one one. That was their whole backing. It's Seriously, nine one one call. So Thomas Johnson's mental health played a major role in his three day trial. The twenty five year old opted out to testify in his own defense. Stating he was mentally ill but not insane at the time that he killed 53 year old Dave Stevens. That he was what? Mentally ill but not insane. He didn't want people using the word insane with him, which I get. There, yeah, we've talked sure. about this. There's a lot of stigma behind that. Like, he's saying, yes, I'm mentally ill. He just doesn't want people to be like, oh, he's insane. Right. I get it. As a female, we get it. We get <laughs> it. So, Johnson was convicted of murder and will be eligible for parole in 30 years he was convicted of it he did not get an insanity claim so i just kind of want to end this before we give kind of final thoughts with a quote from his defense attorney he his defense attorney paul johnson said quote but not for his disease would we be in this courtroom how do we as a society punish someone for acting under the influence of a disease oh that's great final thoughts friends i agree with that like,
2: drop, period, pop off. She's <laughs> <G-16>.
1: 16. <laughs> um, that's a great ending to it. And and so true. And here's here's going to be my final thought on it. Is until we, the citizens of the United States of America, start to recognize mental health and start to deal with mental health, we will continue to see cases like this. We will continue to have crimes like this. We will continue to be plagued by the same thing that is plaguing our judicial system because we are not recognizing the problem. And the problem is not crime. The problem is mental health accessibility in the United States of America.
2: A hundred percent. I
0: so agree. Oh my goodness. It's kind of, see, this is interesting. Like I said, in Lori Vallow... Same type of situation with the whole competency uh-huh. thing. Very different outcomes from Tracy.
1: Very different outcomes because the why and the diagnosis matters. These are two people who say, oh, I'm insane. And people who really have a serious mental health diagnosis. Mm-hmm. It's, it's complete every... But we say this also, right? Every case is different. Every person is different. Every scenario, every situation, they're all different. Some have the same outcome, some have a different outcome. It's up to the judge, and it's up to that. But but it all goes back to mental health.
2: Am I wrong? No. There everywhere you go, there is an issue. There's someone being there's arrogance or there's just not addressing it. it, like, just at the school, I'm in high school, and I see it every single way, everywhere. Like, it's one conversation, but that conversation is leads into another path, and into another, another path that they don't want to face. Yep. Yep.
1: Everything is just put band-aids on the situation, put them in jail, lock them up, lock them up, lock them up. Well, guess what? What does locking up do? It well, adds to trauma. What does trauma do? Trauma adds to mental health. What does mental health do? It adds... To murder. It adds to criminality.
0: Well, and I feel like it's like when you look at like his family, because his aunt called the police twice on him. Sure. His cousins did not. They just said, go about your way. All of them, I think it is interesting, refer to they could tell when he was not himself because of the darkness of his eyes. Yeah. That it was like looking at a different person. But I feel like as a family member, you want to help, but also there's the repercussions of like, you don't want somebody that you love in trouble. Mm-hmm. and I think that's hard so you see that in two different relative groups right choosing different paths of well, that. but also here's my question because I know in if you go to county jail you do get medical treatment you don't get like therapy or psychiatrist appointments and things like that but would for schizophrenia would they pay would this county pay for his schizophrenic medication
1: yes if it was prescribed prior to going in there.
0: So him not taking it, he still want to get the help that he needs.
1: Unless the county jail that he went to had psych services and he would get it and he would get, you know, prescribed it there. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know. Every county jail and all the rules are different, so it depends on where he is. If you talk to people <clears throat> who who have been in county jails or in prisons, they will tell you the answer is no or it's hit and miss. I mean, it's...
0: So even with him, like, he potentially could not be receiving the care now.
1: Potentially, correct.
0: Which is sad, because then if in 30 years he gets parole, Mm -hmm. what, we're in the same situation. Nothing is resolved. Absolutely. We have 30 years to get him stabilized, get him... He he shouldn't, this should not have even happened,
1: in my opinion. In my opinion, he shouldn't even be there, because somebody should have intervened way long time ago, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: way before this ever happened. He he had the diagnosis, and for crying out loud, why are people not being charged for not providing medical care? It's medical negligence.
2: Yeah. So who do you think is responsible? Who should have stepped up?
1: Oh, gosh. Where would I even begin?
2: His coach? Who should have been responsible?
1: Who should have been responsible for medical negligence? Right. Yeah. Well, I suppose he was an adult, right? So
2: yeah but he wasn't in the state. he didn't know
1: you're correct. he wasn't in an effective state of mind, was he? So I suppose his guardian or whoever was living with him or
0: whoever was the closest to him or should maybe have been
2: the mother that said that he repetitively that he didn't need that he just needed the Bible.
0: but I wonder too, if there was a little bit of fear of him being taken away like he had been. From the Earhart family. Well, you know, this from like that's
1: an that's another interesting point though, Coral, that you just brought up that I want to touch on for just a second is because of this this mental health um, what's 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 the word I'm talking looking for here? Um, because mental health isn't taken seriously, people don't know resources and what resources are available to them. So Perhaps, I mean, we know because we're in that field and we're around it and we're in Wyoming where, you know, things are pretty open and conversation is pretty open-ended here, but if you're in a big town, you're a single mom, you're being, you know, you're going every direction, perhaps you don't know that Title 25s are a thing. Perhaps you don't know that involuntary, perhaps you don't know that those things are available to you. Perhaps... Law enforcement should have a little bit of mental health training or law enforcement, when they get called to these calls, should refer people to the correct people that can make these resources available. Maybe, maybe, and I'm just throwing this out here because I'm solution-based and not problem-based, right? Perhaps law enforcement agencies throughout the United States, maybe this should be a federal law,
0: should employ case managers. Well, so here's my question. So his dad... Like I said earlier in the story, right after he was diagnosed, when he refused to get on the medication, his dad showed up with a psychiatrist and a caseworker. And the mom said, no, I don't want him to go to treatment. I don't want him to go. I don't want to do this. Why was not further action taken by the social worker or the psychiatrist? They have authority. They
1: do have authority.
0: And I feel like they have a responsibility to have done something. Right. Well, it's... You know the problem with
1: the problem with social workers and case managers and therapists, etc. Uh, our laws of HIPAA are so protected, and the only ways that we can violate HIPAA is if someone is an eminent danger to themselves or to others.
0: Right, but you or think that there should have been like a follow up? They came to his house when that happened. You
1: can't if somebody refuses service. You have to you have to take there a step is a back. Line. There is a line, yeah.
0: But
2: overall...
1: Law enforcement, however, does not have that line.
2: But overall, it just seems like there's a lot of arrogance and it not being talked about and addressed. Yeah. Which it should be. And a lot of murders would be... Prevented. Prevented.
0: Yep, 100%. I feel like a lot of people fumbled the ball on this one. God, it's
1: over and over and over again. Mental health, mental health, mental health, mental health. Yep. Excellent case. I hate it, but I, but I mean, awareness.
0: Mm-hmm. Ugh. Sad story, because, I mean, like we said, it didn't persist didn't... until after that game, and something just snapped in him, and he changed. Right. I mean, he had everything going for him. Right. And that's sad, because he didn't get the care that he needed. He could be... If he could an NFL four player. In the state. He could be an yeah. NFL player. He could be. I mean, he had it all going for him. He could have been worked, a and he worked his butt off to get there.
1: Yeah, he could have been a spokesperson for schizophrenia.
0: Mm-hmm. Made he could have been a for that poster a child
1: player. for it. Absolutely, which you know, absolutely, you know, the woulda shoulda hindsight twenty twenty that goes on mm-hmm. in all of this stuff, and it's really disappointing that it isn't it, it isn't taken advantage of to better the system and to better process. And and these cases, like, they just keep happening. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's so sad. Yeah. It's so sad. Ugh. Well, well, thanks for bringing it. Coral, thank you for joining us. And you yes.
2: actually added
0: to it. You did great.
2: Well, I do what I can. All the know. money she, I'm spending. <laughs> she
0: already mentioned. She was like, can we, like, talk about a cult so I can Ooh. come to that one? <laughs> uh- <laughs> All the
1: money I'm spending on your education is paying off.
2: Well, maybe next time talk about feminism, you know.
1: she is being raised by a single mother she made a
2: very eeky face
1: uh thanks for joining us guys thank
2: you guys thank you
1: stay safe